Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The Eucalyptus Fiber Upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Welcome to the Business of the Business Podcast. I am your co-host, J.P. John Paz from the two-man power trip. And of course, joining me is my co-host, the wizard himself, Mr. Trump Mania, Mr. Lavi Margolin. Lavi, how are you doing today, sir? Hi, John. I'm doing great. Um, today, we have a very special guest, actually, uh, somebody who's worked, when I reflected back on it, I followed for about 20 years. Um Zach Arnold of uh, many resources, but certainly his own fight opinion. And we've recently referenced his articles from uh, Bloody Elbow. Hi, Zach. Welcome to the program. Hello, gentlemen. How are you doing? Doing very, very good. So obviously, you know, fight opinion, you've written about pride, you've written about UFC, but where did you grow up and were you a fan of martial arts, boxing, pro wrestling first? I mean, what were you a fan of and where did you grow up? I grew up in the wrestling business um, primarily as a teenager. I was a tape trader, one of the original tape traders for Japanese tapes. And a lot of the wrestling tapes and the martial arts tapes from Japan in the 80s, they would be sold in grocery stores in the Bay Area. And that's how a lot of tape trading happened. If you didn't have an access on the East Coast like a Jeff Lynch or some of the heavier tape traders, I mean, you had to go to the stores and that's how you get your magazines and your tapes. And 
from there, the rise of UFC, obviously, that that was happening as I was a teenager. And then you had the rise of pride. So for me, I was playing both coasts. I was following Pancras. I was covering that. There was just so much action and so many guys going back and forth between the two countries that there was always a story to follow. And that was always my passion. So you were technically a, a big a pro wrestling guy. I mean, what's like any of your first memories of pro wrestling? Uh, the original Tiger Mask uh, in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And then he ended up doing Shudo, which was kind of the baby that created this uh, giant monster we have today. I mean, it's obviously unrecognizable, the current UFC, from what Shudo was. But the roots were there, and that was something that I grew up on. And you had Shudo, and you had the UWF, which was kind of the dojo version of new japan pro wrestling the offshoots there and there was a lot of interpromotional activity and that kind of serious style was so different from hulkamania at madison square garden and so that was what appealed to me the most when you look at tiger mask really i mean are you loving those series of matches against dynamite kid I mean, what, what's some of your favorite tiger mask matches oh goodness uh he had matches with bret hart uh kunyaki kobayashi um, the matches, I mean, with Fujinami and, and Koshinaka, I mean, uh, uh, those guys, when they were coming back and forth from Mexico, um, I mean, it was really incredible, but it was very strange because of the whole scandal with Anoki in the 80s when he got temporarily put on timeout. kind of reminds me of CM Punk right now with AEW, but um, very much, you know, watching Tiger Mask morph into this, you know, cartoonish pro wrestler doing really athletic stuff, and all of a sudden... He's doing shooting and shoot fighting, and that to me just it captivated, captivated me, and I just looked that I was so fascinated by it, and I bought in. I totally bought in. I mean, it was so weird because in the UWF in the late 80s, you had Bad News Allen, you had Norman Smiley, you had a lot of typical American wrestlers. If you didn't know that they existed back then, well, I was watching them doing semi-shoots and real fights, and I was totally fascinated by it. So how do you go from the fandom to getting into journalism and actually writing about it? How do you how do you kind of make that leap? For me, it was all about just getting the magazines, and then I was one of the original message board members on a service called Prodigy. Prodigy was the precursor to kind of the World Wide Web. If you if you had a, a Tandy computer from Radio Shack with a modem, you could get it on Prodigy and that Prodigy message board system with Bob Ryder, the late Bob Ryder of TNA, Dave Shearer, obviously with uh, his website, and then Dave Prezak and myself and Sheldon Goldberg and lots of other luminaries who are still around today. I mean, that was kind of the breeding ground for a lot of international conversation about ECW, about shoot fighting, about Japan. It was just the, the place to be, and, and I was, it was just more about timing more than anything else and uh, just being in the right place in the right time. Was that something you always wanted to do, like make that leap into like the journalism end of wrestling, or you just kind of wanted to be a fan? Oh, I was always a fan first and foremost, and, and more importantly, I was just a gossip. It just fascinated me, and, and you realize very quickly everyone else is the same way, and, and so that's how you network very fast. So I know... Lavi has a, a lot of uh, good questions for you. Lavi, 
Yeah, so I'm going to try and stay modern day. I think, uh, not that you'd have the time, Zach, but I feel like I could probably pepper you with questions for six or eight hours about UWFI and, and that whole fascinating world. But um, really what, uh, you know, like I mentioned, I've, I've been following your work for many, many years, but really what's been captivating me on a near daily basis, depending on when these bloody elbow articles are coming out, is the UFC coverage, especially as it... I find the connection to the WWE now. So the first question, and this is a loaded one, what do you think about the forthcoming um, TKO uh, merger? I guess I'm not sure if that's the best way to define it, but the coming together of WWE and UFC under this working title of, of TKO. I think TKO will be the biggest threat to non-NFL sports in North America. It's going to be supersizing. It's the McDonald's of combat sports. It, it, when, and I never thought we'd see the day, but you're talking about a valuation on the stock market probably of $21 billion. I mean, I, I think it's certainly larger than the NBA. It's going to be larger than the NHL. It's going to be larger than any non uh, NFL program and for for me that's the fascinating story is obviously as this thing grows you're going to have more and more people with a lot of money wanting to get involved in the action and it could really explode this is the only sports property that has any potential outside the NFL to match that major behemoth in terms of international expansion and it's not just international expansion, it's expansion into um, very hostile but yet powerful governments. And that's what makes it such a, a, a unique story. It's a geopolitical story. The NFL is just football. Yes, there's politics and there's always scandals and there's interesting stories. But no one thinks of the NFL as, as a political sports property, first and foremost. I, I think with TKL, we're going to see... It's in the center of the action in pretty much every major uh, world government capital. So with, with that being said, um, from your reporting, I get the sense, though, that there's potentially trouble on the horizon. Um, what does this, um, this UFC lawsuit, I guess, being certified, what does that really mean? And how can that affect you know, TKO overall? I think it certainly has an impact in terms of discovery of, of learning the past and the current mysteries of how does the UFC business actually work? I think if you asked 100 people to define how does UFC work as a business, you get 100 different answers. I think this is the first time we're finally going to get a sense of through the discovery of litigation, you know, what makes it tick? Why does it work? Why do so many people want to put money into it? Why does it attract such celebrity? Why is it so famous? Why are people willing to sign up and fight for peanuts on, on the hopes and dreams of being in the, in the 1% that actually make it? Why does it work the way it works? And, and that, to me, is the fascinating part of the litigation. Now, as far as the permanent fallout... Uh, unless you address the issue of arbitration, which is what UFC and WWE in the future under Ari Emanuel will clearly utilize, um, unless you address arbitration, I don't see 
major changes forthcoming in the way they, they continue to do business. I mean, if you eliminate arbitration, then it's a different ballgame. It's a different economic model. But if you manage to maintain arbitration, then I think it's going to be more of the same. So um, you're obviously very knowledgeable of this. Uh, my wife is a lawyer, but I still don't understand it all. Um, I'm sure we have a very intelligent listenership, but can you break this down a little bit more? Like, what's the situation that the UFC is in? What impacts might there be on the business and what financially might occur? Well, they faced litigation about seven years ago in Las Vegas court. That's how slowly this court, uh, this court case has proceeded. It's just been dragging in the mud forever and forever. And it seemed dead. And then like a zombie, it rose out of nowhere and got, got brand new life this week or actually this month really. But, you know, the fighters of past and present, whether it was Nate Quarry or John Fitch or Kong Lee, essentially were arguing that UFC had such uh, disparity in terms of bargaining power, it was take it or leave it. If you wanted to be in the business and have a career, you had to basically surrender to all their terms. And that's what the, the key crash question of the litigation has always been about. How much bargaining power does UFC truly have? How much manipulation of the market? What is the market share for UFC? And how do they, how do they utilize it? And how do they manage to make so much money and keep the profit margins the way they are? What's the secret sauce? That's what the litigation's always been about. And that's why the discovery release probably in a few months is going to be so critical to answering those first questions that nobody who's ever followed that company since 2000 has been able to figure out. This sounds very much like from, from you know, the outside that uh, this could set a precedent for potentially a WWE case of a similar nature, right? Um, uh, independent contractors have attempted to sue WWE a number of times. It's never gotten anywhere. Do you think that this case could present uh, a precedent that can be used against WWE practices? If Tony Khan didn't exist, um, yes. But he exists, so no. <laughs> the The term that, that often confuses me, and I'm probably going to mispronounce this, is instead of a monopoly, a monopsony, meaning that you don't have total control of the market, but you control enough to uh, exude dominance. Would, would that be the case here? Yes, I would replace the word monopsony with the word sticky. It, they're sticky like glue. I mean, I mean, basically, the, their bargaining power is so one-sided that it's sticky. All the, the contracts, all the agreements, it, it's so sticky. Basically, you have to agree to get glued to them permanently on every front, or else you're you're not even going to be attached to their to their entity. Now, talking about lawsuits, are you following the um, WWE MLW one? Yes. So what are your thoughts on it so far? Um, it depends on how charitable I want to be about it. Let's we'll just put it this way. There's a big difference between having major law firms buy into litigation like Congolese law firms have, where they have tons of money and capital and can fundraise and bankroll years and years of discovery and litigation versus Court Bauer 
and his law firm, no matter what notoriety it may have in terms of their resources, the, the, the gap in the resource battle between MLW versus the Kongli uh, unit it, it's quite large. Let's put it that way. So I think there's going to be um, some very different results. So do you think that um, the extension of time that keeps happening in the MLW case sort of works against MLW of keep uh, being able to pay lawyers fees of, you know, whatever it is, several hundred It's not just now. simply paying lawyers fees. It's the actual time it takes to hire a staff to go through discovery. You get flooded with millions and millions, tens of millions of pages of electronic discovery. How can you possibly read through all of that in such a short amount of time? That, that's the whole point. That's why WWE can bleed them dry. So one of the other interesting things that, that you dropped, I think even very recently, was that they're losing – let me know if I'm misrepresenting this, but they're losing a case to lead to them actually selling the UFC? Um, could you clarify that a little bit? Oh, sure. Um, so I think there was like a, a five-point article. I'm sorry. I don't have the um, exact reference point, but uh, there was a reference to the possibility of the UFC being sold um, if, um, if the courts don't go their way. Would that be fair or did I miss a point? No, no, I think that's entirely fair. I think it's interesting and very timely now with the announcement that the Saudi Arabian uh, Public Investment Fund has put in um, some money into PFL, the rival group. Um, certainly, I, I think that that's an indication that there are a lot more buyers, potential buyers of UFC than anyone can imagine. And certainly UFC is a political sports property. It, it is absolutely something the Saudis, the Indian government... Uh, I don't know about China right now, but there's certainly other foreign governments that would love to use sovereign wealth funds and invest in this because Ari Emanuel has done something incredible, which is he's taken a business that has so much risk and he has completely de-risked it. He's defanged and taken the venom out of the snake. I, no one's ever been able to do it on the scale that he has. Do you think it's a possibility that they might sell the UFC and keep the WWE or do you think they try and like roll them together? I think he would like to package them together. I mean, the idea that you could have the Saudi PIF buy both UFC and WWE, that's so much cultural power. That's so much business power. That's so much greater than any tennis or golf property you're talking about buying worldwide access, worldwide television, and worldwide entry into markets they never imagined they could invest in before. So Vision 2030, I'm not sure if you're a, a betting man or as a reporter you're in the position to do odds, but 2030, um, where do you think um, UFC and WWE stand in terms of ownership? Uh, certainly, I think a foreign government probably um, – it, it may not be the Saudis. It may be someone else, but certainly foreign investment um, owning at least a minority share, if not a full-blown share. And remember, one of the key things about TKO being public. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to – has anyone seen the bride and groom? 
Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Is that the deeper they connect ties to foreign governments, the more likely they're able to get ties to state and federal pension funds to get more government pension investment in TKO stock, which gives it that imprimatur of, of a safe investment, even though it's, it's quite volatile still. So one of the other pieces that relates to governments is this, um, this bidding now. Um, or, or getting investments from cities or states to bring shows to you know to the town, um, and that's something that WWE has been doing a lot more of. Whether it was um, you know uh, in the UK or uh, Puerto Rico or WrestleMania, the bidding's been going on for quite a while, and this is part of the the UFC strategy. So. In terms of like synergies between these two companies, is that the the first one that you would see in terms of maybe uh, packaging it up that instead of just having uh, six days of WrestleMania events, you could supplement it on the back end or the front end with like a big UFC show, something like that? Absolutely. Remember, it's, it's not going to be just a marriage of UFC and WWE. It's going to be a marriage of power slap, of bull riding of skateboarding, of all these different properties they have in a demographic range, they can kind of suffocate the market with all these these different companies, this portfolio, if you will, that attracts all kinds of different people from disparate groups and brings them into the circus. They can bundle a circus that no one else can bundle. So actually that begs a question I was going to skip, but I'm, I'm glad to have the opportunity to ask. Um, do you think there was any reason that they didn't put PBR under TKO, that it still sits under Endeavor's sports? Uh, combat sports, is a, it really is a different animal. It's such a different animal in terms of legal issues, of liability, of medical, that it just it makes a lot of sense to kind of combine those two properties and isolate everything else. So my final question before turning it over to John, we've seen the, the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund be very aggressive. Not sure exactly what's going on with the PJ now, whether they'll own the whole thing soon. But do you think that this minority investment in PFL will ultimately become a majority investment? I would not bet against it. Let's put it that way. I mean, I, and you're, you're nibbling in the waters on something that may or may not make money at that point, once you put in, you know, a percentage at, at that point, you're kind of pot committed. So they may end up buying it, but they may also be playing around to see, Hey, how does this business work? 
What do the books look like? What What is the business like? Kind of like they're dipping of the toes with Live Golf. They found out how the golf business really works now. And there's sim- I think a similar course is happening with PFL. It doesn't preclude them from not buying a piece of the action with UFC. I just think it's a way that they can buy a tracer into a business and learn more about the model of it. Awesome. Thank you, Zach. Have you followed this recent, well, actually, it's not really recent, but I guess it recently came out today about uh, Constantine Kairos and the lawsuits against the WWE with the many concussion lawsuits. Have you been following that, or did you see what came down today? I did not see what came down today. I know that he's had a lot of uh, Rule 11 sanctions uh, you know, levied against him in, or attempted to be levied against him in federal court. Okay, because it says that he now owes WWE and the lawyer fees uh, three hundred thirty-three thousand dollars. That sounds about right. Actually, that's actually on the low end. He got lucky on that. They wanted five hundred and fifty. I think they settled at three thirty, something like that. Yeah, that that's all about what's called billable hours or what we call load stars. So the, the, there's often a ratio. A judge will determine uh, how much uh, our legal fees are owed. And, and generally, judges are much more sympathetic to one side of the, of the aisle than the other on those kind of matters. So did he look at the NFL and think that, oh, WB is just going to settle? Like what, what was the, like, what was his game plan against that? Your guess is as good as, my, as good as mine because you had venue issues, you had jurisdictional issues, and you had issues of the of independent contractor status, and that's what made it so difficult. When you look at the NFL, what was going on there? I guess to me, that's was the thinking. Oh, NFL had this concussion thing. We'll just go after WB for the same thing. Didn't quite work out that way. Now you know. Now he's kind of you know obviously paying out big time. I mean, what a huge mistake attacking WB like that. Um, a lot of people have gone against Jerry McDevitt, and they've lost. Join the club. <laughs> very, very true. Um, is he definitely retiring? I'm hearing that he's retiring at the end of the year. It's like the mob. They pull you. You try to get away and they pull you back in. Uh, speaking, by the way, uh, of the mafia, I know you've written a lot or had written a lot about pride, right? And, and what happened with uh, that promotion in Japan, pride fighting championships. Certainly. I mean, uh, if, Things hadn't have fallen apart. The whole world would have looked a lot different if they had survived. What is like the just the crux of it? I mean, not to get too deep into the weeds or anything, but just the crux of it. I mean, was it a lot of Yakuza influence? I mean, did they really run it? Let's put it this way. Pride was a toy. It was a baby toy. It was a baby King Kong. It grew up fast. And everyone wanted to share the toy and decided to fight with each other to share the toy. And because they were fighting with each other, they got distracted, took their eye off the ball, and decided to pretty much set themselves on fire. Man, I know um, the former president was found dead. and There was another Yakuza scandal. I mean, they kind of couldn't escape some of that stuff, right? Big money, big business attracts a lot of people, especially when you're on television and doing 20 plus million people. So I I can't speak to everyone involved, but I could say that uh, the heaviest hitters in Japanese business society 
uh, wanted a piece of the action. And when you look at it, people don't realize this, but UFC, when Pride was hot, UFC was, was by far number two. I mean, it's not even close. I was quite envious. The fact that Dana White went to one of the shows, the major show in November of 2003, to bet on Chuck Liddell, only to watch his guy lose to Rampage Jackson. I mean, <laughs> two, what was it, $250,000 bet or something of that nature? I mean, it, w it was incredible. And if you look at it, I mean, just like how many people they were getting in, in their stadiums, the UFC was struggling on pay-per-view at that point. I mean, you had Chuck, who obviously was great, takes a huge knockout loss to Rampage. But, I mean, pride business-wise was, was just destroying them at that point. They were the Olympics of mixed martial arts. Fedor, I mean, uh, you had Hendo, you had Vanderlei, you had Rampage, Sakuraba. I mean, they... They had the maybe the best roster ever. I mean, just amazing. And, and I would still say, even though we have kind of a jaundiced lens about what mixed martial arts is today, totally different business. But the iconic nature of the of the celebrity and the folklore status of the guys a generation ago seems even larger than the current crop of guys we see in UFC. I, you know, I always think about stuff like that. I'm like, is it like the charisma? Is it, you know, what is it like that these guys today don't don't stand out as much? It's so interesting. They were allowed to be who they weren't, who they really were in person. I mean, it, there was no edict about you can't be this or you can't be that. What you saw is what you got. Yeah, just uh, those were the days. I mean, I could talk about uh, Pride forever, but just tell us where everybody can find you and, and what you've been up to as far as lately, as far as some of your writings. I am helping out Mr. Nate Wilcox over at uh, Bloody Elbow. He's got a sub stack there. He's got a website, bloodyelbow.com. I've been helping him out quite a bit because a lot of these MMA sites that you and I grew up on, they are dead. And he really is the one major player for serious journalism in the MMA space around. So I support him, and I want everyone here who's listening to this to support him too. Sign up to the Substack, and you'll always get my new articles. I'll have a new article up next week probably, and it'll be about the issue of arbitration with UFC and WWE that was brought up on the show earlier. Wow, good stuff. We'll have to definitely check that out. Just a love bloody elbow. I mean, man, uh, obviously now they're on Substack, but when they were had their you know, normal traditional website, I mean, I was on there you know once a day, twice a day. I mean, they're always at the best stuff, uh, most reliable stuff, best articles for sure. You have to attack the angle now everywhere. You got to have a newsletter. You got to have a Substack. You got to have a website. You got to have a podcast. You got to have a show. You got to have everything to reach the fans now because it's so bifurcated everywhere. Totally, totally agree. Very true. How about social media? You're on social media at all. I am on Fight Opinion on Twitter. You can always see my rantings there probably three or four times a day. I cover both Japanese and American stuff. I translate stuff. I cover some hidden gems and stories that the media won't cover anywhere else. And I just recently posted a new article on the old fightopinion.com website about the status of the parent company for New Japan Pro Wrestling, which lost 40% of their stock value in a week. And what is the implication of that? And how does that impact business in America as well as Japan? Yeah, I saw uh, you had tweeted that out uh, about two weeks ago. And basically you said it was the biggest financial 
uh, story in combat sports. And I don't know if it, you know a lot of people were were paying attention to it. Oddly enough, uh, those who know seem to be quiet. Uh, those who don't know, get on board. Get on board and um, read what we have to say because I think it's going to have a dramatic impact, especially with uh, one Mister Tony Khan. Oh, awesome! Definitely going to have to check that out. Everybody, definitely check out Fight Opinion on uh, Twitter or, or AKA X, I guess it is now. But uh, Zach, thank you so much for all the time. Really appreciate it. You're welcome, gentlemen. I'll see you soon. Thanks, Zach. Take care. Take- see you soon. All right, Lavi. Interesting that he's bringing that up about um, Bushi Road because you had wanted to have been talking about that for a little bit now, right? I mean, what the heck was going on with, with Bushy Road and and Fight Opinion and, and the, this huge story? I mean, this is a big collapse here for Bushy Road, right? Yeah. Um, so I... <laughs> this week, too, so I've been, like, stockpiling all this Bushy Road information, which... Um, you know, prior to that, it had been a little bit quiet with what New Japan was up to. So let's go through it uh, one step at a time. And actually, um, that is interesting. I didn't realize that I uh, that it was Zach that uh, that broke it down for everybody a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, so that's uh, yeah. wonderful timing. Um, so the the biggest financial story in combat sports unfolded this week, and you're not hearing any of the regular commentators talking about it. G1 talk faded for New Japan quickly. If a 20% drop in a bear market, what's a 50% year-over-year drop? The stock casino is cruel. Buying the dip. So Bushi Road um, is down uh, 50% year-over-year. Um, year. So, you know, New Japan and Stardom, of course, were acquisitions of, of Bushi Road. It's been a... Uh, you know, it's it's been um, a tool in companies' arsenal. So it's not like Bushi Road has uh, an affinity for necessarily a company that started. That doesn't mean that they're looking or need to sell anytime soon. But you know, once these wheels start turning, it makes me wonder. Like a company like Cyber Agent, which I don't think they've been setting the wrestling world on fire with their all their pro wrestling acquisitions of Noah and so on, but. I'm wondering if they would want to uh, kick the tires on New Japan stardom. Um, so that's that's one thing. Next, um, from Logmi Finance, um, Bushiroad president Kadani admitted AEW has surpassed its own promotion and moved them to third pay- place. Some of this is translated so um, and, and then transcribed on some websites. You really want to go to the original source, especially if you read Japanese. Um, you know, you want to look at the source as much as possible. But New Japan Wrestling is technically increasing its digital content income. But the reason why it has not returned to its former glory is that between 18 and 19, AW in the United States um, sales are on the order of 10 billion yen. And I believe that a major reason for this is that New Japan Pro Wrestling has fallen from second to third place in the world rankings. So I think that's like a, you know, a little bit of a stretch there why New Japan may be having its own struggles in Japan. I think for most fans in Japan, it's sort of like what product are they being given as opposed to like, who is number two now in terms of revenue worldwide? Like, yes, some of their talents maybe 
traveling more and and to bring in some international stars might be harder to do. And yes, their U.S. business is certainly down. We, we've attributed that a number of times because of AEW in some ways, but now they're benefiting from teaming up with AEW um, without knowing the, the financial deal. So I think that's a like a little bit of a stretch, but let's look at more of what was said. Um, so in the, uh, the financials that were released, New Japan Pro Wrestling of America, the American subsidiary of New Japan Pro Wrestling, holds monthly tournaments. In the previous term, 30,000 people attended 17 overseas tournaments. So I asked our friend at WrestleTix, like, how many people went to the one in uh, in Toronto, the uh, the team up with AEW? And that was about 13,000. So basically, you can say about an average of 1,000 uh, people at shows, which makes sense. In the U.S., we're developing our own brand called New Japan Strong. In addition, there's the wanting to develop a brand called New Japan Tamashi in the Oceania region. I mean, that's already developed. But in July, New Japan Strong Brand held an event at Karkin Hall. In the future, we plan to further develop the Asian region, including the women's stardom. Since the two major professional wrestling competitors are from the U.S., we believe it's important to take advantage of our geographical advantage to explore Asia, especially South East Asia. My comment is like, yes, please. <laughs> Don't worry about fighting people here. Um, you know, take advantage of what you have in Asia. Recently, about 200,000 subscribers have suddenly increased on the YouTube channel of Stardom in a month and a half. Most of the registrations are coming from the Southeast and South Asia, such as Indonesia, India, and Malaysia. From the fall, we are gradually bringing wrestlers to those regions, and we're looking for various things, such as whether there's a ring or a group that could perform locally. So an increase in YouTube subscribers for women's wrestling doesn't necessarily translate to wrestling business besides you know youtube ad revenue there's a lot of um people that uh watch women's wrestling that watch uh, another step beyond that intergender wrestling because they enjoy watching it let's leave it at that so i wouldn't necessarily say that oh our, our wrestling business is getting um more popular um but it's certainly something for them to explore New Japan Pro Wrestling is technically increased. Um, okay, so in light of the situation, I think they'll continue to patiently continue to do what they can in the U.S. while developing the Asian market that they have not taken. Uh, while talking to the president and unit heads of each company, they're restructuring strategies and currently moving forward with what they can. Uh, we'll be uh, These are quotes from Kidani. Uh, we'll be number one in areas where can, we can be number one and differentiate ourselves in other areas. I think that's like... If they stick to that philosophy, they could continue to have success. Let me just like repeat that for emphasis. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We will be number one in areas where can, we can be number one and differentiate ourselves in other areas. Like, yes, please. Like, that. that's the best way to do it. So Monthly Prosawa, our friends over there, um, had a uh, another interview. Um, so just a snippet like that. 
we're close to an ideal. New Japan Pro Wrestling in the U.S. is more of an established brand now. We'll still send some of our talent, but not all, to the U.S. So we can run Japan and the U.S. concurrently. L.A. Jojo, New Japan Academy, is also paving the future for New Japan in the U.S. In the previous financial year, which ended in June, New Japan of America was profitable for the first time. And they helped New Japan as a whole reach its second highest revenue in company history, which is a really impressive feat. So my guess with that would be that when they work with AEW, you know, that's beneficial to them. Um, Brandon Thurston had noted the increase in stardom, but I think we, we covered that enough. Um, Just looking at some local shows um, at the 2300 arena, there was, you know, plenty of tickets left um, for both their all-star junior festival. Um, The team up with impact didn't have the same impact the multiverse as it did over WrestleMania weekend. There are plenty of tickets available for house of glory with Tanahashi there. Um, and now looking ahead, interestingly, so they're going to have a, a standalone major show for, for the U S at the Curtis Colwell center Lone star shootout on November 10th, which is a, a fairly large, I guess you could say like mid-sized building. And but most notably, they'll be teaming up with AEW again in Seattle for Wrestle Dream, where the speculation is that um, AEW pays them a rights fee, so that's um, or a licensing fee. So you know that's uh, a nice uh, form of of revenue for them. And you know, if I was going, not that uh, they're asking me, but if I was going to have like a a, uh, a strategy would be going back to that quote will be number one in areas where we can be number one and differentiate ourselves in other areas, protect the brand. Don't work with so many co- now, right. They're saying with MLW announced, they're sending some, some wrestlers there. They can use their brand MLW, like MLW impact a little bit house of glory and so on. Yes. I know you want to get out there, but, Protect the AW deal first, which obviously seems very solid. Do a few major shows where you can. Look, we're already seeing Mercedes Monet, right? She was on um, the big uh, Wembley show, uh, all in for AEW. Um, so we don't know if that's a draw much anymore, but I think there's something there with stardom if, if they protect that right. But um you know, before jumping into next topic, there's other competitors in the U.S. for uh, Joshi that are coming down the pike soon. Now, I want to get back to something as far as, you know, you just mentioned Wembley and All In, kind of skipped over this, but the WrestleMania 3 attendance versus WrestleMania 32 attendance, maybe Collision in Korea. I know you put a tweet out there. I wanted to kind of talk about that for a second. Yes, so <laughs> I think I okay, I got it back. Uh, I thought we were moving ahead, so I removed it from my notes, but it's back. Um, so this was actually interesting. I kind of put it out there first as um, like a little bit of a joke, but then, like, you know, it was sort of going back and forth in terms of support. So, you know, not a huge end, not a huge total number of voters, 81, but interestingly, um. I thought the argument would be between WrestleMania 32 um, and um, All In because All In was announced as selling more than 81,000 tickets and um, 
uh, even Brandon Thurston had like getting like official numbers from the state or wherever, like his estimate is that WrestleMania 32, if I understand correctly, could be from the high seventies to the low eighties. So especially if you're like uh, a WWE person, like you might still argue for that, but that wasn't the argument. The argument actually makes sense from a semantic level. What is wrestling's all time attendance record? So 35% of people said collision in Korea and 48% said all in. So I guess it depends what's, what's in attendance, right? Like collision in Korea had more people in attendance, all in had more people that paid apparently. So, um, so there's still like, you know, there's still an argument for it. That's the funny part. They kept, making sure it's his paid attendance but i still don't get how it beats wrestlemania 3 I, and i know that's maybe an old school thing and maybe somehow it does but i was even reading another thing where they were saying they lowballed wrestlemania 3 that's actually more than ninety three thousand. so i was like man like nobody has like the the story that agrees with each other there's all like oh it was only eighty thousand, or you know they keep saying this like what's the number of wrestlemania 3 then yeah, it never gets boring because I was watching our friends, um, Pike, Brandon, and Bix on, on a post-wrestling, and Bix was, like, dropping the bombs. He had local articles that said that they, you know, even though it was sold out, the day of, they let people, I'm not sure if it was, like, um, selling tickets or just letting people in to, to keep them happy. There were people that came in that didn't have seats, and they were planning to hang out, um... I would say less so in the bathroom, maybe more like in the aisles or like, um, you know, behind the sections, just like be there to experience that moment. So that's potentially thousands of more people. So, it, 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 you know, the the mystique and the mystique and the mystery uh, keeps uh, keeps growing. And, and like I tweeted him, our friend uh, Keith Ellie Greenberg who's I think his next book project is WrestleMania three, like good luck on that attendance. That'll probably be the continue to be the most controversial part. And I remember we were talking to Brandon last time, and I think I was even talking to him off air about it. He was saying, you know, obviously they do it on Patreon. They, they go further into it, but WrestleMania three, they still don't kind of know. I mean, the 93,000 does seem accurate if you, and it's funny, I've done this before, which is bad on my part, but I'm looking to see like what the lions, you know what their biggest attendance was that year and you know and you're and you're like okay but in, and obviously they don't play on, on the field i mean you know you can't put fans in the field while they're playing and they put the ring in the middle of the field and then you put the fans around it's like so it's got to be over ninety thousand. i don't know just just from looking at it and it looks sold out and i know people are gonna go crazy and they're gonna go nuts but i was watching all in and i was looking there's a lot of empty seats so eighty one thousand. i i'm i'm, I'm I'm saying it's definitely paid for, which is the bottom line, and that's all anybody should care about. I said they got paid for it, but I don't think you had 81,000 people in there. I think WrestleMania 3, and I know the semantics is the quote-unquote paid. WrestleMania 3, I think you had over 90. I know that I had found an article. I'm not sure if, if he ended up doing it um, for like a big boxing match at Wembley that the it could could have been for just under a hundred thousand. I think yeah. the boxing did like yep. ninety something, and we know here they didn't um, use all the seats. I'm not sure if there's like the the skybox type thing in Wembley too, because like Wrestle takes 
you know, wouldn't have been able to like to count those dots. So apparently like there was 81, whatever was the paid. And then you had X number more that, um, you know, that were there. Very, very interesting. It's funny though. Like there's like such a uh, controversy about it. It's very, very crazy. I think it comes down to like, the same philosophy that we talked about, like mania, like right, original podcast, like with Vince McMahon, that pro wrestling is constantly looking for respect. So, like, like not necessarily saying we are now. I'm sure we're, we're confident uh, dads and professionals, but like, like the wrestling business is like always looking for ways to be like we're popular, <laughs> we're legitimate, or whatever. So, why this is why there's like this fascination, like. You know, I love Bruce Springsteen. He just played, you know, um, you know, in the Meadowlands. I'm not sure if they still call it that, but like, I don't know how many people were there. I know it was sold out, but you know, like, like, what do we care? Like, right? But like, in wrestling, like, you're like, I need to know. Obviously, that's the context of this show, right? But like, there's something about needing to know, like, to to prove that that it's valid and yes. it's, it's a real thing to like enjoy. Yeah, it's funny. I, I went to one of the Metallica shows at the MetLife Stadium, aka Giant Stadium, aka the Meadowlands, and I was like, "Oh, I wonder how many people are here." And then I was reading, I was like, "Oh, eighty thousand, okay." But it was not like an exact number. They just said eighty thousand. <laughs> so I was like, "Oh, they don't care. They're just you know, they're just saying it's a huge number. They're not getting into specifics." And then they came back uh, two nights later, and they said it was eighty thousand again. So I was like, "Oh, they're not even getting exact. They're not even saying." 80,000 and 12, or you were like, they just said it was 80,000 both nights. Yeah, it was funny. Um, I went to a Mets game for like actually for the first time since they've been at that at uh, City Field. The only other time I was at City Field was when they had the wrestling convention and I got Goldberg's autograph. So, um, the people that I went with they don't follow baseball at all, they just ended up with a long story. They ended up with comp tickets and they invited me to come, which is great. And they said, like, oh, how many people are here? So I was like, oh, right. Oh, you're asking the right person. Okay, so I'm like 40. Okay, so it's capacity of 45. Let's see how many people were here last night, 20,000. Right, right. So maybe it's about the same or whatever. But it's, you know, it's fun to uh, to jump into. But there's not that. But I was at the game and I wasn't, like, before they asked the question, I wasn't wondering, like, how many people are here. I was noticing, oh, you know, weeknight, they're not doing very well. So, you know, large chunks are, are empty but it it's not that same thing now completely changing gears as far as that that joshi promotion is concerned and they're coming to new york is meryl ranallo a part of this promotion Yes, yeah, so that was one of the um, the pieces that there. These pieces are breaking slowly. Most of it is coming from PW Insider. I think this this was from somebody transcribing Wrestling Observer, attributing it to them. So, regarding the new women's promotion featuring Japanese wrestlers, it's debuting next month in New York. There's not a lot of info out. So we don't have a place or location. The only going from Maranello to announce, but the deal was not closed. I mean. You know, he's great. I think something where they don't keep occasionally may work for him in terms of, you know, some of the mental health challenges that he's been 
uh, you're open and obviously well documented uh, about. Um, so I, that would be a perfect fit. I the last I heard was September twenty first. Now it's only as you record this is about twenty two, twenty three days away from that, and they have the idea that they'll do it the night after um, the big AEW show in Queens, like Wednesday night to Thursday. So that you'll get some of the fans, but I don't know if people are traveling. Like it's a Wednesday night. Like I think that's more of like um, people come from Long Island and wherever, like to to Queens. Whereas, like I don't think there's anyone traveling in that would be like, oh, I'm already like paying five hundred dollars a night for a hotel room in New York. Let me just roll it over a day to go see this show where I don't yet know where it will be and and what will be happening. What about progress wrestling? What's going on with them? So this was interesting in the sense that um, we had talked about um, the the service ending that had pivot share that had hosted wrestling previously and what's going to happen with these other brands and certainly progress. I wasn't even aware that that was who was hosting them before, but Now we're starting to see these like ripple effects a little bit. Progress Wrestling is thrilled to announce the launch of Demand Progress Plus, a brand new professional wrestling content platform that will revolutionize the way fans experience the shows. The decision to introduce Demand Progress comes after months of careful assessment to provide Progress fans with an enhanced viewing experience. Their previous platform, Pivot Chair, while serviceable, lacked the necessary features and direct fan engagement that Progress Wrestling aimed to deliver. With the recent news of Pivot Chair's closing, Progress Wrestling brought forward their plan to create a new platform, um, Plus, which will officially launch and become the ultimate and exclusive destination for all things Progress. Best a treasure trove of content, including the entire Progress Show catalog, best of compilations, original programming. Progress Wrestling will also be in advanced discussions with other wrestling promotions around the world to host their own content on demand progress plus as an inclusive platform progress is extending a warm welcome to other promoters looking for a new home for their own shows interesting with progress what about impact wrestling you got a huge show coming up yeah and it keeps getting bigger and it's in uh kind of my my general uh, geographic region but i don't think the timing unfortunately will work out for me to go because i love the westchester county center but 1000 episode of impact um right we talked about the return dudley boys there's a fan celebration which is actually a, a perfect idea because um Besides going to pro wrestling at the county center, I'd been to plenty of like card shows where they would actually have wrestlers there sort of for free, like um, met King Kong Bundy um, uh, there, uh, Jimmy Snuka, which was a weird interaction, um, million dollar man uh, back in the day. So like, this is a smart way of doing things. Of course, the biggest news to me, um, like my favorite Impact TNA feud of all time, Gail Kim against Awesome Kong. So, like one night only, which is which is pretty awesome. But you know, last I checked, you know, it's still I haven't checked since that announcement, but it still hadn't moved a ton of tickets. And like, if it's hard to get people to like travel at that point, right? Like if they went to England, right? If they're super fans, they went to England. They went to Chicago, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. Like, yes, I love I love Westchester. Like every, everyone, White Plains, but like 
it's not really a place that you travel to. So you're not really going to draw there. So I'm not like, I understand the idea of 1000 episodes, but you're making a big, I guess, I guess for television. So speaking of television, so um, kind of a long um, information shared by PW insiders. So it's important. Um, so I'm going to sh- go through it all um, just so that we can all digest it. Impact Wrestling held an all, all on de- uh, hands deck talent and crew meeting prior to a taping in Toronto. Uh, PW Insider spoke with a number of sources. The major news coming out was that the promotion will be making what was described as massive upgrades to its production facility starting this fall. It was described to the team as the upgrades bringing state-of-the-art production technology and advances to the Impact and Access Weekly series as well as the promotion's future pay-per-view. The promotion will be greatly renovating their space at Skyway Studios in Nashville and just not logistically feasible to edit and produce from the facility during that process. In asking around, we, once we heard about the upgrade, the belief is that the process will take about a month, plus another few weeks for the staff to get used to and master the system upgrade. One source in the production area joked that the upgrade will ask to finally take time off during holiday weekends, and they might be able to finally pass the award for most overworked production team to someone else. I hope. We're also told that Impact on Access will be assisted by some of their sister companies for the post Bound for Glory TV episodes during this time. It was stated that there'd be some adjustments made to Impact Wrestling TV for the remainder of the year as a byproduct. There will not be conventional TV tapings going forward in the near future, at least until 2024, PW Insider assumes, with the promotion said taping at their announced live events. During this time period, less talent will be utilized over the remainder of the year. Anthem will be paying day-rate talent for extra days through the remainder of the year to help offset their missing dates. The revised schedule kicks off with Impact heading to Europe, for its return to that content with live events the week of 26 to 1029, Coventry and Newcastle, as well as Glasgow. Those events will now be taped for TV. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Many several weeks worth of content from those four live events alone and add some additional prestige for the fans who are there at the events. In November, there'll be a new IPWFA style throwback in Toronto at Santino Morales Battle Arts. Impact also informed the roster. They'll team with AAA for a joint show in Mexico featuring future details. It'll be taped for Access TV. Final Resolution um, will also be held at Battle Arts Academy. The promotion also informed talent that 2024 Hard to Kill will be held in Vegas, and that for the first time, the show would emanate from a venue directly from the Vegas Strip. Impact has previously been running the market of Samstown Live, so it's going to be a big upgrade in terms of location in that city, as it's about 20 minutes away from the Strip with no traffic. The promotion did not announce the date or venue yet. Um, okay, so, John, <laughs> I've been going back and forth. Does this mean that Impact is trying to save money or is opening up the purse strings and is spending more money? What's your impression? I was thinking when, when you were going over it, I thought they were trying to save money, it seems like, to me. Yeah. First, when they're saying production, it's like, okay, finally, 
you know, solidify themselves as the third brand, um, you know, upgrade their studios and all of that. But then like, there's still several months left of 2023 and it's like, we're going to have final resolution at Santino's gym. Like, <laughs> like I don't know. It, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, they have some decent venues that, that are already booked out. Why not, like, tape those, right? Like, if you're, besides the pay-per-views, okay, but, but like, the weekly shows, you could get it about five weeks out of each show. So why are you, like, doing this, like, super on the cheap? And you're not using as much talent. Um, and then you're going to come back in 2024 like a champ? I don't know. It It doesn't totally add up to me yeah that that yeah to me is the saving money part yeah for for sure um i'm not sure why they're wording it the way they're wording it but that to me it seems like trying to save money yeah so i'm I'm really curious now like and it's also like you know you have a sign guy dudley and like he's job is to like promote these events you know he has a important role there and like okay, now you have to fill, like, Santino's gym. I guess if it's an interim period, like, whatever, you do what you need to do, prepare for Q2 of 2024, but it's sort of, like, a weird period between now and then. Like, there's plenty of places to, like, rent production. Um, Call Dave Marquez, and he'll either help you or he'll give you a referral for somewhere. Like, why do you have to do it this way? I don't know. What about the toy controversy? What the hell is going on with the toy line? <laughs> so this was like kind of a, a, like a little bit regretful snafu. So um, there was supposed to be toys coming out and they weren't happy with the way that they looked. So um, Impact Wrestling regrettably announces that it scheduled action figures made by Asylum, according to this press release, did not meet Impact standards nor the outline time frame for release. Thus, Impact Wrestling is now in discussions with other action figure manufacturers for an upcoming release and no Impact action figures from Asylum will be produced. Um, all prepayments will be uh, returned. So then if you're like Asylum, you're like, oh, okay, now I'm getting like this black mark that we make crap toys, right? So Asylum responded and it was like, please, whoever runs this, get facts before releasing a story. Asylum is a U.S. distributor of the toy line that Epic Toys UK made. So Epic is like, um, there's so many new toy companies like that are making like, uh, not necessarily new, but there's so many like pro wrestling licenses that are out. It's so hard to like keep track now. But Epic was a different company that is more familiar to me um, for Cella or Cella. The toys um so that those were the ones that were supposed to be uh, making these these impact uh figures ah interesting so not uh not great uh for them uh, i guess i guess it was they just weren't looking good but moving on because we talked uh, about much about uh, impact what's going on with triller and fight what's the latest with them so triller is um prepping itself for um for going to Wall Street. And um, it appears one of the things that it's doing is is placing 
paid um what do they call that advertorials <laughs> like like sort of like ads that like look like articles not saying that they're trying to deceive anyone it's you know this is commonplace like paid promotional articles from my impression in terms of seeing what i'm seeing otherwise it's it's a good excellent pr work which i mean we love our friends at fight pr but um which is one step removed but um so what's coming out of this so one of the things that they're championing is that the opportunity for fight to be even bigger than it is based on valuations for DAZN. Thriller's influence extends far beyond the realm of combat sports. Its acquisition of fight, premier combat platform, signifies the company's ambitions in the live sports streaming platform. With DAZN, fight's closest rival, valued at $3 billion, Thriller's strategic placement positions it to tap into surging demand for live sports content, indicating valuation potential beyond traditional financial matters. Thriller's strategic acquisition of Fight has caused ripples in the ever-evolving world of live streaming. Uh, Fight, renowned for its cutting-edge platform dedicated to streaming comic sports, has become a linchpin in Thriller's plan to expand. So, um, yeah, so basically you get you get the story on that. Weird. Weird stuff. Always something going on. What about IWTV? What's the latest going on with them? So, I mean, from from the outside, it it, it seemed like a, people have been picking the bones of IWTV, not saying that they're in a bad position, but like as different platforms came up, you'd see like people migrating from IWTV. One of the places where they went to is Pro Wrestling TV. So, and Pro Wrestling TV, one of the cornerstones that they were featuring um besides uh women's uh wrestling army warrior wrestling and extreme tnt wrestling previously um creative, uh, not creative control network our our distributor apologies for that uh control your narrative um so one of the um promotions that they've been featuring had been new south so new south is actually going back to iwtv and one thing notable on iwtv um is their uh, their traveling champion Alec Price is now their champion? Um, uh, maybe it'll give them some stability, but it's hard to sort of stand out in this world uh, of streaming and champions at this point. How about GCW? What's the latest going on with Game Changer Wrestling? So just a bit on their uh, Atlantic City weekend from a couple weeks ago. Um, so they, uh, on night one, just before the show, they had limited reserve seats left in their current setup with at least 10 seats remaining in the third and fourth row on night two. So um, on the uh, night one, it was four tickets left in the fourth row, six left in the fifth row. So we can assume those probably sold out, whereas night two was a harder sell. But interestingly and smartly, um, they tied into the uh, the water park there in uh, at the showboat. Um, you can get a discount or whatever it is. Um, and I know there's the um, what was that? Not to say bumper cars, but like uh, the the car indoor car racing. I guess you would say. So it'll be interesting to see if they continue to tie in with the showboat, which which seems to have like expanded out to a lot of uh, fun things recently. What about MLW? What's kind of going on and what's the latest with them? So, you know, Hammerstone and Richard Holiday, Hammerstone and Holiday left um, 
Interestingly, like at a very looks like a small show on the West Coast, Twisted Lucha, they faced off. So it made it just made it think to me like, hey, you know, this was a missed opportunity. This could have been like one of those sustainable feuds for MLW for a while. So constantly learning about like talent migrating out when you think that they would be there longer. Also interesting was that um, I found an article about Bet Online. Um, uh, the article defined bet online as a legal offshore operation, which I can't say one way or another. But in the article, they had mentioned that bet online is a sponsor for MLW, so um, that they sponsor their banner and so on. So it's interesting that you can have ads on like pro wrestling shows and MMA, but it may still be illegal to to gamble on it. Um, and um, just a piece which has been covered pretty extensively. So interesting as the, the lawsuit, which we talked about earlier in the program, goes back and forth that WWE now admits uh, in court filings that Stephanie McMahon spoke to someone at Tubi, but doesn't necessarily admit, you know, what was said or if, if what was said was detrimental to uh, MLW. So as far as South Africa is concerned, I mean, is this true? Did they actually get 18,000 people at a show? So uh, the Citizen um, news outlet there covered it, uh, a show called Wrestle Monster, drawing an excess of 18,000. There was no comma there, so I don't know uh, at the bottom, right? Um, dash, um, so I don't know how they do that in South Africa, but it, they meant 18,000. But when you clearly, when you look at the picture, it's, it's a few people hanging out. So, uh, and uh, Wrestle Map, um, not sure if it was a comment or, or message me, but basically saying that this was um, a uh, affair or some sort of thing, like um, just like a lucha uh, show might be at like um, a taco and tequila festival that draws twenty five thousand in the city. You can't really say that twenty five thousand were at the the wrestling show, but something notable when media in the region covers it and, and lists something like that. And finally, CM Punk. What's next for Phil? So, uh, interestingly, through my um, uh, array of, of of unnamed sources, right, uh, we have all the controversy, like, did he get a ride? Did he not get a ride? So, I received a screenshot, uh, which I have uh, verified, um, that is from um, like what an AEW talent would do, like, you know, sign in sort of like to like an HR type of deal and uh, click here for information uh, for Wembley and Heathrow. uh, And then it says like um, that there's uh, different shuttle buses that will come pick you up and, and take you to the airport, drop you off and, and all that sort of stuff. So like any claims that there was uh, somebody was forgotten about at the airport, maybe they had planned to have a private car service, but, but there was um, transportation throughout the day or the, the planned times um, from Wembley to, from, you know, Wembley to the airport, to your hotel and, and all that sort of stuff. So um, just to add to the controversy, but um, now obviously whoever was at fault with this confrontation with uh, a jungle boy and so on, like, and we talked about this years ago, John, actually, like 
when it was seemed unlikely Punk would return to wrestling that maybe like hedge fund guys um, would want to work with Punk and maybe they could just do like a, a streaming deal, right? Like Punk is obviously a draw to some degree. So, or maybe like somebody had suggested with Freddie Prince Jr. Something where like give him complete control and uh, um, let him manage the talent and bring in the talents and, and so on. So, um, obviously he's under contract with AEW now, but you know, if obviously he loves wrestling, um, he went to the independent wrestling hall of fame show that GCW hosted a couple of years ago. He's at something on, on the West coast now. So he still has an affinity for it. Um, even though it seemed like he might've been totally done with it. So like if, if things can't be worked out with AEW again, I can't believe we're saying that again, you know, maybe that would be a logical next step for him. Wow, very, very interesting. A lot of news this week. Thanks uh, to Zach Arnold, of course, for, for coming on as well. We we ran the gamut like we always love to do on this show. But let's hit the plugs. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. Take the website tmptempire.com. Lavi, what do you got? Follow me on Twitter, Lavi Mark, L A V I E M A R G. Sometimes I, I break some, some news like the uh, AEW portal, Talent Portal uh, screenshot. Uh, check out my long form articles, lioncubjobs.com, and uh, check out our group on LinkedIn, The Business of the Business, Pro Wrestling Industry. All right. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. See you right back here next week for a little business of the business. We'll see you next week, folks. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother. Three, two, one. Happy New Year from our friends over at Manscaped. The ball has officially dropped, but that doesn't mean you have to drop the ball on your balls in 2023 whether you had a new year's kiss or not the leaders in below the waist grooming have you covered for your much needed resolution of bringing sexy back join the seven million men worldwide who trust manscape with our exclusive offer go to manscape.com and use the promo code biz b-i-z for 20 percent off and free shipping let us have a toast for a new year new you and a new you with no P.
cubes. If you really want to make 2023 the year to remember, make sure to try out Manscaped's wet goods as well. This includes the ultra premium body wash, two-in-one shampoo, and body deodorant. These products are absolute perfect for follow-up after your New Year's gym sessions. Cheers to new balls in 2023. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BIZ at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the promo code BIZ, B-I-Z. Time to feel sexy and free this 2023 with Manscaped. 